If you're sitting out there this morning, and you all are sitting out there this morning, you'll find in your bulletin a copy of our sermon notes. Please pull them out. I hope that you will use them in our time together that we can grow in our understanding of what God is calling us to do and to be as a church and as a community. So for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about what it means to be uncommon, out of the ordinary, unexpected, um, perhaps a surprise or an aha moment. Last week, we talked about what it means to be uh, uncommon faith, faith that challenges us, that rises above the ordinary. And so this morning, I wanted to talk about what it means to be an uncommon church. What does it mean for you to think about church? What does that mean to you? Uh, if you were to ask friends at, at your, where you work, your coworkers, your friends about church, do they have a positive attitude or a not so positive attitude about church? A couple of years ago, when we were still living in Tennessee, um, I did a, a youth retreat and we went uh, for a weekend. And youth tend to be very vocal when they're together. They tend to, to, to talk a lot. And I, I spoke to him and I said, so tell me, um, how many of you raise your hand, and I'm gonna ask you the same question, raise your hand if you think the church is living up to its high calling. No, not a hand. Oh, dear. Uh, how many of you think um, the church um, has a positive influence in, no, no, not a hand, oh dear, oh dear. How many of you think um, the church could be, I don't know, kinder, gentler, oh yeah, absolutely, oh dear. Uh, how many of you think the church um, can reach out more um, to be more connective, more understanding? Absolutely, I said, I said that's kind of strange to me. I said, so tell me, Here's this organization that, that is kind of cold, that you're telling me, right? You're kind of telling me. They're kind of cold and aloof. Um, they're kind of distant. Maybe they're kind of a little closed off from others, right? Yeah. Uh, they could be kinder and gentler, but they're not. Um, they could have a bigger impact, a, a bigger positive impact. Um, how many of you think that they are representing Christ well? No, not. I said, so tell me, who is this organization? Who is the church? Well, well, all those people. I said, so you're not a Christian, that is what. Well, yeah, I, so I'm a Christian. Well, then you're talking about yourself, aren't you? Everything that you think about the church, whatever comes to your mind, oh, it, it should be more, is really a reflection on us, right? We could be more, couldn't we? We're, we don't always live up to our high calling because we're flawed people. We're learning to be disciples. We're learning how to be a disciple of Christ. We're, we're not there yet. Sometimes we can be sticks in the mud, but we're learning to be better. We're, we're learning to be different. We're learning to be better. In our culture today, there's a, a, a trend that is happening, right? Uh, if you've ever seen it, and it's uh, counterfeit money is being floated around. And I was looking um, online about all of the devices that they do to try and define what is the real thing and what is a counterfeit, what is, what is false. And, and how many of you have ever had that experience where you go to, to a store, you, maybe you go to Walmart or something, and you pay with like a $20 bill or something, and they come out and they, they swipe it with a marker, they put a marker on it, right? What they're doing is they're testing it to find out if it's real, is it, does it respond, does that paper, because dollar bills, uh, American money, is made out of a special kind of paper, a special kind of lint. The ink is very special so that if you turn it in a certain way, it'll go from green to black. 
There's actually embedded in the fibers different colored fibers that can be seen um, at, at magnification to help identify what's real and what's not. But we live in a culture that are often measured by counterfeits, by things that are trying to imitate the real thing. And, and you see this in other, other aspects, not just, not just in um, uh, dollar bills, but like different fashions, right? Um, I'm often told that one of the, the highest is that, that are often tried to Im be imitated are like Louis Vuitton, bags and clothing and purses. Nike, I was watching something the other day where there's a company that just slaps, you know, has figured out how to produce the swoosh and is just putting that on shoes in order to counterfeit the shoes. Um, maybe it's a Rolex and sometimes you want the counterfeit because you can't afford the real thing. But a counterfeit is simply something that is trying to imitate the original, what it's supposed to be. It, it has the outward appearance but it doesn't have the same quality or the same attention or the same depth that the real original has. Now, this is not just about things. This isn't just about money or handbags or shoes. This can happen to people as well. When I was growing up as a kid, um, my stepfather was part of the Lions Club. And I'm not, I'm not picking on the Lions Club. I'm just using this as an example. But as he was a part of the Lions Club, the Lions Club had as their mission that they were gonna go and help kids buy uh, eyeglasses or help them uh, afford surgeries, uh, particularly for, for their eyes. And so what they would do in our little community is every summer, they would have these chicken barbecues and you could order a chicken dinner, right? A half a chicken and a baked potato. But they would, they would make like four or 500 of these every weekend, which was a lot of work. And so every weekend, he was busy barbecuing these chickens and doing baked potatoes. And, and after a while, when I got a little older and a little braver, I said, why do you do this? I said, you know, you're always, it's always the same people that are doing this. I said, are you guys the only ones that are in the Lions Club? Because you guys are the only ones that ever do it. I said, no, there's a lot of people that are in the Lions Club. I said, well, how come you never see them? He said, well, there's a lot of people that come to the Lions Club and they pay their dues. And because what you do is if you pay the dues in the Lions Club, you get a little pin. You get a little pin. And you get to wear it on your lapel. And then what you get to do is you get to walk around the community. You get to go to church and you say, see, I'm, I'm, I'm part of an organization. right? I, I have the pin. I got the pin. And I said, but they never do the work. He said, well, that's, you know, that's, that's the way some people choose to live. And that has always stuck with me because there's often times in our lives where we want to have the outward appearance, we want to have the pin, we want everybody to know, hey, I, I belong to church, I have a church, I, I am a Christian, God owes me someday, and so I'm good to go. But the outward appearance doesn't represent the true authenticity of what lies within, okay? So what we are about, what I want us as a church to be about is to be an uncommon church, if you, were to go to, if you were to go to your workplace and, and invite people, they've got a, a mental image of church, you know, the big corporate church, what you see on TV. But you, the flesh and blood that are sitting here, you are the church. You are the hands and feet of Christ. If, if they reject the church, they are rejecting what we are all about. I think that's unfortunate 
because they don't really know what we're about. They only see one half of it. We need to be vocal about who Christ really is. And what my mission is, is for us to find a way to take what we do here on Sunday morning. I don't want our mission to be that we just take Sunday morning as a time slot in your calendar. I want it to go from what we learn today about what happens every day, about the impact today can have on every day. So the first thing that I wanted us to talk about is the difference between a real church and what I'm calling a counterfeit church. A counterfeit church is anything that is fraudulently imitation of the real thing. It's imitating what we think we should do, but we don't really do it, right? And the Bible is full of examples. Jesus got in trouble most of the time because he called people out for being the counterfeit, right? As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 59, God is looking to Israel and he said, these people's hearts are far from me. They, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are not in it. They're just going through the motions. And then Jesus reiterated that or repeated that phrase to the Pharisees. He said, it is true what the prophets have said about you people. They worship me with their lips, but their hearts aren't in it. They are, what he was saying is, you are a counterfeit. You are fraudulently put your, putting yourself out as being the true thing, but you're not. You're just going through the motions. So our challenge should be, wouldn't it be good to know if you as a Christian sitting there this morning, are you the real thing? Are you the real deal? Or are you looking for the pen to go in your lapel? Which of those two do you think you fall into? What category? Wouldn't it be good to know that before it becomes serious? Wouldn't it be good to know which side of the aisle that you're on? I think it would be. And so let's think about what does it mean to be a counterfeit? Well, the first thing that I think of is a counterfeit has a divided heart. There's a lack of loyalty, right? There's no real buy-in. There's no sense of this is who I am. As a matter of fact, in the epistles, when Paul is talking to his friend Timothy, he said, people that are, have a divided heart, he said, they're like people like a boat on the ocean, right? They're just swept along by every current, every wave tosses them one way, every fashion sends them another way, every desire, every desire to please others will send them one way or another. It's whatever pleases them at the moment. There's no sense of consistency. It's, this is who we are. This is our identity. It's like getting up on a Sunday morning and trying to figure out what you really believe, what you really are all about. A divided heart is somebody that, that shows up on Christmas and Easter but really isn't part of the background, isn't part of the desire of the community to be something more. And so the challenge for all of us is do we have a divided heart? As a matter of fact, in our culture today, if you think about it, we're becoming more divided and less unified. The challenge is, is to do whatever pleases you within the moment, and yet Christ is calling us to be one body, one baptism, one faith, to be unified into who we are to walk a different path. We invite you to walk that path that with consistency, not whenever the winds blow you one way or another. The second thing that often happens in, in these circumstances is there's a sense of passive worship. What, what that means is, is you just sit there on a Sunday morning and let it wash over you. I love the music. I love the praise team. 
they do a phenomenal job of just lifting my spirits, of just kind of taking me from like, as I sit over there, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm always running through my head, what do I have to say, how am I gonna do it, what am I gonna do, what am I gonna do, and, and they take me out of that busy mindset and like going, we're just here for praise, God just lifts us to a different level, and he's lifting me for a reason. See, you're not here this morning because you didn't have anything else on your calendar to do. I really believe you're here because God is saying, pay attention. I have so much more that I want you to be involved with, but you're not giving me the time. I can't talk to you long enough. I can't talk to you 20 minutes a week and try and get through to the depth of who you really are and, and what you can do. I need more of you because there's so much more to you to be expressed and to be open. Passionate worship is purposeful worship. God is here because he's trying to get through to you about the hope and the dreams that he had when he created you. I saw a quote that I, I wrote down a couple of weeks ago. He said, isn't it a wonderful concept, just a, a, a magical concept, that the creator of the universe, the creator of planets and of stars, the creator of octopus, platypus, of all of the animals, isn't it an amazing concept that that creator God thought that the universe needed one of you too? He needed one of you, he wanted you for a purpose. Passionate worship understands that God has a plan for us. But of course, a counterfeit also believes in a consumer mindset. What did I get out of it? A couple of years ago, there was a, a lady, we were talking about stewardship and how we're all invested in this together, how, how we all are part of the same team and we're, we're reaching out to our community to give them a different story to tell. And she said, well, I never give when I'm not here because I never use the goods and services. She had an idea that church was about what you pay. It's like whenever we pass the plates, it's like buying a ticket for your seat. Not about investing in, in transformation, about changing people's lives. And sometimes we can fall into that as well and we can get into this mindset of it's really just about what I can get out of it. It's a consumer mindset. I wanted to share with you a passage um, from about a different kind of, of church, a different kind of lifestyle. And it comes from, of all strange places, 1 Chronicles chapter 29. David is king, and he's got in his mind a vision. He's got this idea that he wants to build a temple. But God said, no, David, that is not for you to do. Um, Solomon will build the temple. But David is, David is not dismayed. David will not see the temple built but David will be a part of raising the funds to see it done. And David is excited because God is doing a new thing in their land. And I want you to hear how David is excited about the people's response and about how he responds. How many of you recognize this picture? Well, you, you should. It, it's, it's sitting right above you right at the moment. Okay, so here's what David said. So David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of the Father, I'm sorry, the God of the Father of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. He is, he is full body into worship. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You 
are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise for your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given, we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were, all, as were our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow, without hope. Lord our guide, all the abundance that we have provided for building your temple, for your holy name comes from your hand, and it, is, and it, and it belongs to you. He says, I know my God, that you, I, I know my God, you have put the heart of, and are pleased with the integrity of all these things. I have given willingly and with honest intent, and now I have seen with joy how willingly your people are, have given for you. Lord our God, for our father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Keep these things, these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. David goes on to talk about the role of Solomon in building the future temple. And so what we see is we see that David enters into a spirit of worship, recognizing everything. He's the king. Everything is under his authority. Now, how many of you would hear that from our powerful leaders. Everything, Lord, comes from you. Everything that I have, everything that I could possibly give, you have already given to me. And so David is looking to the future and is excited about what is coming up. He's talking about an uncommon church, an, un an unnatural way that we normally respond to the opportunities that God gives us. The first thing that I see, and I, and I want us to understand, if we are to become that kind of church, the church that changes people's lives, that awakens them to new possibilities, we have to have a clear sense of priority, a clear sense that God is at the center of all things. All that you have in your, in your purse, all that you have in your bank account, all that you have in your closets, all that you have in your storage bins, all that you have in your storage sheds, God has already given to you. You cannot give to God what he has not already given to you. We have a sense of priority, a sense of this is where I am centered, this is where I belong, this is who I am, and this is the journey that I'm on. The fact that you're here this morning is a decision that you made to say, in my life I need to be centered on who I really am. During the course of the week, there's all kinds of winds and waves trying to get you to do other things. There's a time in your life you have to make a decision and say, this is who I really am. Sunday morning church is really a Saturday night decision. You made a decision about coming long before you actually acted upon it. You don't get up on a Sunday and just say, I don't have anything else to do. Why not go spend an hour in church? 
It's an identity about who you are. It's a clarity that will guide you in the darkest of times and in the storms that come in life. David is clear at the very outset as he's thinking about building a temple. It's because all that we have is yours. You are the creator of all things. You are the originator of every dream and every ambition. You are the completeness to the story of life. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. If you wanna know why you're here, if you wanna know what your struggles are, if you wanna know why you have this deep restlessness within you, you have to go to the source of why you're here in the first place. You have to understand the completeness. And the challenge is, is you cannot do that on a part-time basis. You can't do that in Christmas and Easter. You can't do it just once a month. You have to be involved in understanding that deeper story. David understood with clarity that God was the beginning of all things. It was David that wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. He understood that relationship. The challenge for us is how much are we centered on who God is? How much in the depth of your heart would you say Jesus is a clear priority in your life? Or is he a schedule that can be bumped at a moment's notice. We have clear priorities. The second thing is, is that we have a sense of deep personal growth. We give things, little things, in order to achieve great things. We invest in order to grow. And so this morning as you listen, as you come on a Sunday morning, and sort of sometimes we come just to do our time, but what if there's something that God wants to get through to you? about personal growth, about learning the power of this ancient text that we call scriptures that are still challenging the most educated among us to understand its power. Do we believe that God still speaks to his people? Are we still learning to grow and to, to understand what God is doing in our lives? How does God test us to understand the depth? If you were to get like, somebody were to give you a, say a Louis Vuitton, bag or certain shoes, how would you tell the difference between a counterfeit and the real thing? How would you know? If you were to get a dollar bill, other than like, you know, with, with a magic marker or something, how would you know? Well, there's certain signs, there's certain things that they respond to different, in different ways. Dollar bills respond in different ways, they have different markings in order to identify, but what about you? What about Christians? How do we identify what's the real thing, what's the real deal? And what's not so the real deal? I love this quote that I found in Proverbs 20, 27. It says that fire tests the purity of silver and gold. It, it burns off the dross. But a person is tested by being praised. Success. When God wants to see what's in your heart, he'll grant you success. What do you do then? Because here's what I found over the years. When people are having a crisis, whether it's crisis of finance, medical issues, whenever there's uncertainty in the land, people will come to their knees and say, God, I don't know what to do. You gotta help me because I can't control this, in, this situation. But if you really wanna know what's going on in somebody's soul, grant them success. Grant them success and see how they respond. Well, I don't, I don't need church. I don't, I don't need to, to say thank you. I've got everything I want. I'm doing well. God must be pleased with me because I'm doing really well. 
So the challenge for all of us, we live in the most prosperous land on the face of the earth. And the church is in decline because it's revealing what's going on on the inside. We're not living up to the truth of who we really are. We're not living according to what God has. We don't come and say, God, all that I have, my family, my career, this land that we have, that's a gift from you. I need to say thank you. I need to learn. I need to grow. I need to be challenged to become better than I really am. David had a clear set of priorities. He knew who he was. Even though he was king, he said, Lord, this is all from you. He was in a process of growth. He knew that God was asking him to be a light to the nations, to build a temple that Solomon would. Now, as time went on, the Israelites kind of fell off the wagon a little bit, and that caused different kinds of problems. But in David's time, he had a vision of what was possible. And so finally, there is a sense of visionary life. We're going somewhere. There's something that we as a community are called to do, to roll up our sleeves, to invite people into this bigger, better story that we are a part of, and to build something better. I love this passage David said at the, at the end of this passage. He says, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. Keep them centered on why they're here. It's not just about you and for the people that are here. It's, it's, a, it's about these kids and their, their, their future. It's about the people that aren't here, that should be here, that are struggling to make sense of their lives. That's our mission, to fill up this place with people that are filled with a better life, a better future. We have to have a visionary sense of who we are. The challenge for all of us is to ask, are we the real deal? We have a great outside. I don't know of any that has a better outside structure. You, you come up from the interstate, you immediately see the church. It's lit up at night. The spire sticks straight up. You can see this place for miles. It has a great outside edifice. The question is, is, is it made of the real stuff, right? The little story with the kids, the outside, the steeple, you open it up, we're filled with wigglers. Do you feel deep down inside, I'm the real deal? And if you're not, maybe there's time to change that before it's too late, to become the real deal, become uncommon, be, be whatever it is that you think the church should be, to become alive, to become compassionate, to become gentle, to become strong and confident, to become courageous and outspoken, to become the people that God created us to be. One of the great authors of our generation is talking about leadership these days is a guy that, Simon Sinek, and I love this quote. He said, you know, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, then you're a leader. Are we leaders? Are we leading as the body of Christ, the hands and feet? Do we have the spirit within us that are inspiring us to stand up and say, now is our time, now is our generation. We're going to make a difference in the midst of a turbulent time. We're the real deal. We're an uncommon church in a very common world trying to make a difference and saying Jesus is the way. All others are false. We'll invite you into our story to, to experience what God has already placed within you to find your story just as we are finding ours. 
I invite you to become a part of the bigger story that Jesus is telling. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks this morning that you've called your children back to your home to experience the fullness of your love and grace. I pray that the challenges that each of us face, sometimes we struggle to, to be the, 